0: Church. glad you're here? You excited? Come on, man. Super Bowl for Sundays. Sundays are, are the all the day, man. We celebrate Jesus. We come because the Lord always has something good for us. Come on, have expectation. Why don't you say this? Jesus, come on, Jesus. Jesus has something good for me. You don't believe that? All right, I'm going to talk to the wing. Come on, help me out. Jesus has something good for me today. He does. He's got something good for you. How about over here? Let's go to this right here. Jesus he has something good for me today. And that's right. He does. Expectation, Christian. Expectation. So I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. Jesus has got something good for you today, too. So I want to bless you guys. We're doing um, the Gospel of John. And so we're in the John chapter, the 11th chapter. We did a uh, part of it last week. And so we're going to pick it up with the story. Um, I literally could teach this chapter three different times, and each time the message would be different. And that's one of the things about the Scripture, about the Word of God, is there's just layers upon layers upon layers. Scripture even speaks of itself that way. It says, the depths of His Word. Who can understand the depths of your Word? So what's going on here? Hey, Alex, throw up that, um, that, that slide, the map. Oh, he already did. Sorry, you got it here. So what's happening here? So this is this this in this chapter, Jesus is about to raise this man Lazarus from the dead, and so we kind of set it up a little bit last week. Talked about a little bit of the background here, and so here, uh, Jesus is over here. So there's there's two Bethanies. Say it with me. There's two Bethanies. Thank you. I got one. There's two Bethanies. So we're a participation church. If you haven't figured that out already, we enjoy it. We like participation. You can throw things at me too. I can duck and dive. It's if There's anything to. You guys can laugh, it's all right. So right over here, so here's, here's Jesus is over here. He's in Bethany beyond the Jordan. Lazarus has died. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were friends of Jesus. Jesus, when he would be in town, when he didn't be in Jerusalem, uh, this would be like his Airbnb. This would be the place where he would go and he would crash, he would hang out. And his family, he would hang out with the, this family and his disciples would stay there too. And so while Jesus is over here, Lazarus is over here, And Lazarus dies. And so Jesus gets the news, and he waits until Lazarus dies before he makes a move. He's hanging out in southern Judea. And the thing about Bethany, when Jesus would be in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. It still is. It's a flashpoint for Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. It's one of the biggest flashpoint cities in the world. Like if there's disruption in Jerusalem, it can like set off a powder keg. But at this time it was the flashpoint and it was really the epicenter of Judaism. Jesus, when he would go to Jerusalem, he never stayed in Jerusalem. Never stayed in Jerusalem. He stayed in Bethany. Anybody remember what Bethany means? We talked about last week. House of the broken. So when Jesus would come into town, he wasn't staying in the house of the religious. He wasn't looking to connect to the house of the religious. He would go and stay in the house of the broken, Bethany. Not only that, when he would go to Jerusalem, he'd stay in Bethany. He'd be like, where are the broken people at? You know, those are the people that he would connect with. And not only that, he's across the Jordan, and he's not even staying in in some other place. He looks and finds another Bethany town. Jericho's right here. He's not staying in Jericho. Jericho's like right there. Jesus isn't staying in Jericho. Jericho. He's staying in the Bethany that's outside of Jericho. What the Jews would do is they would set these cities outside of major cities. And if you were an outcast, will you go live with the outcasts? So you, if you weren't in with the in crowd, you couldn't live in Jerusalem, right? The condo board wouldn't accept you. They'd vote you out, right? The HOA says, no, 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 you're not our kind of people. You can't come in here. And so they would have to go to Bethany. If you had any issues in your life and you were an outcast in society, or there was brokenness, they didn't want anything to do with you. And they threw you to to Bethany. Same thing over here. You got Jericho. And then you got a Bethany outside of Jericho where all the broken people were sent. that's where Jesus goes. And we talked last week about our brokenness. All of us have it. And that the house of brokenness, which is we all have brokenness. All have brokenness jesus isn't interested in religion and religious pretenses he wants to heal and restore the brokenness and brokenness is healed through communion with the lord mary called our martha when she sent the message to jesus she said jesus the one that you love is dead the one that you love is sick she used the greek word phileo which means friendship means openness of exchange the one that's friendly, that's what it means. So Jesus, when, he, when it says Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus used, the word for Jesus is using is agapeo, which means to seek the highest good. But the word that Mary used when she sent the word to Jesus was phileo, the one who has opened his heart to you, the one who has communed with you, the one who has exchanged and shared his life with you. And so you see, when Jesus would be hanging out in Bethany, he'd go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and their laundry would probably be in the corner. There'd be dirty dishes in the sink, right? The dogs running around everywhere. It, would not, it wasn't this he- place of perfection, but it was a place of communion and connectedness because that's what Jesus really came for. He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to enhance a religion. He didn't come to make everybody externally righteous. He came to bring, back, bring us back into relationship with him. Very pivotal point if you want to understand the nature of Jesus. There's a reason why he went to Bethany. There's prophetic significance to this. and We talked about how that's healed. It's healed through communion. It's healed through communion, relationship, and openness. He already knows you're broken. Guess what? You don't need to hide it. We hide it from each other. We show up in, and that's what happens in churches. We all show up and act like we got it all together. Everybody's flexing, right? Nothing's wrong. We got our flex on. We got our, you know, whatever you want to say, something version of that. Bible says, say this with me. If my heart condemns me, the Lord is greater than my heart. And here's the pill. He knows everything. He already knows. That's what it says. If your heart condemns you, the Lord is greater than your self-condemnation and he knows everything about you. The Lord loves you when you are near and he loves you when you are far. He loves you when you know him and he loves you when you don't. Bible said, if Christ loved us while we were yet sinners, how much more does he love us now? Jeremiah says, when you're apart from him, he said, Bible says he loves you with, from afar with an everlasting love. That love is to seek your highest good. So when, when you're apart from Christ, his love towards you is to bring you back to him because Jesus is the highest good of humanity. There is no higher good than being connected to Jesus. He's the everything, man. He's the answer. He's the power. He's the purpose. He's the vision. He's the everything. You can go your way or you can go with him. And I've been around a long time. It's way better with him. Our problem is we create contexts of religion. And our contexts of religion oftentimes are very stifling and not, they're not sustainable. We act like we have to have all the answers. You don't have to have any answer. Jesus is the only answer you need to know. He's an ever-present ever, ever help in time of need. And so Jesus' friend Lazarus has died, and he's going to Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. And last week we talked about the disciples didn't want to go there. So Jesus is there. He's got his crew. He's got his posse, and he's like, hey, we're going to go, we're gonna go uh, over to Bethany near Jerusalem. And they look at him, and they're like, are you crazy, man? They tried to kill you. We're going to go back there. Lord, we ended up over here because they tried to kill you. And what they're really thinking is, is if they try to kill you, then they're probably going to kill me. They're going to kill us. And so they're trying to talk Jesus out of going to Bethany. And Jesus is like, we're going to Bethany. Like they're trying to kill you. And he's like, yeah, we got to go. Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples are like, man, if he's sleeping, he's going to wake up. We don't need to go all the way over there to wake him up. He'll get up. And Jesus is like, he's dead, dude. That's what he, that's what he's saying. And so he ends up going there, but the disciples didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. And he uses two words. He, in the beginning of the chapter last week, we talked about this. He uses the word thanaton. It's a Greek word thanaton. It says, this sickness is not unto death. That word death is thanaton in the Greek, and it means eternal separation. What, is, what Lazarus is experiencing will not cause him to be eternally separated from me. And when he dies here, when he says Lazarus is dead, he uses this Greek word apothenesko. Apothenesco means to be separated from the body. It's when the spirit leaves the body. But the word thanaton means eternally condemned. And so what Jesus is saying is like, hey man, he knows me. I'm in him, he's in me. No matter what happens, he's not eternally separated. So he's given us a contrast. Our English language translation doesn't really portray this well, but is right there in the original. Apothenesco, Lazarus died, his spirit left his body. Another Greek word, is um, necro, that's when the body's died. Necro is when you're just dead and decaying and there's nothing there. But this apothenesco means Lazarus has left, Elvis has left the building, Lazarus has left his body, you know what I'm saying? And so Jesus tells them we're going there because now Lazarus is apothenesco, he's died, he's separated from his body. It tells us a couple of things. One of the things it tells us is that eternal separation is real. There is the ability and the, the condition of being eternally separated from Christ. Spirit will live forever. You're either going to live in his kingdom or you'll be outside of his kingdom. You will be in his kingdom of life or you will live in outer darkness. But you will live forever in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. And you say, well, what's the difference? Jesus is the difference. He's the way maker, miracle maker, right? Promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are, right? It's who he is. And so when you receive Christ, you come into the kingdom and you come out of darkness and into light. Is that not what the Bible says? No, no one knows that worse. We come out of the darkness, the outer condemnation of our spirit, which is our eternal fate, and we come into light, the light and the hope of his kingdom. Now and eternally, we belong to him. It's important to realize that. Not everybody goes to heaven, Christian. You say, is hell real? Hell, yeah, hell's real. Hell, yeah, hell. is. Let me look in the camera. Hell, yeah, hell is real. Hell is real. Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the entirety of the Bible. Jesus, loving, caring King Jesus, spoke more about hell than any, other, than any other person in the entirety of the 66 books. He did. You know why he did? Because he knows it's real. He knows it's real. And he came to tell us that. He came to save us from that fate, to call us out of darkness. And you've got to give your life to Christ. You must be born again. Because you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. Unless, if you're not born again, you are outside of his kingdom. That's a fact. You're born that way, right? You have to be Lady Gaga to figure that one out. You're born like that. When you receive Christ, you enter his kingdom. Without Christ, without being born again, you cannot enter the kingdom, and you're not even aware that the kingdom exists. Jesus said you cannot see it, and you cannot enter it. You must be born again. How do you be born again? You receive Christ in your heart. You surrender all that you are for all that He is, and you let Him come in your heart. We'll pray a prayer at the end. If you've never done it before, we'll help you out. I Had a guy last week. This funny story. I don't know if he's here. Is he here? Marcus? Marcus here? That dude, I don't know this guy. I think his name was Marcus, but uh, he comes up to me and he's at, he waited in line. I was talking to a bunch of people and he waited in line and he's like, "Hey, can I talk to you?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." I thought the guy was serious. I sat down with him, and uh, he said, "Look, I got to be honest. The only reason I'm coming here is because of my girlfriend." Right, and he's like, "But I just find what you're saying to be so compelling," and so I started talking to him about it. And so talking about being a Christian, and he's like, "Can you explain this to me?" And so we had a little bit of a conversation. He gives his life to Jesus. He gives his life to Jesus. Yeah, come on. So the disciples don't want to go. They don't want to go, but Thomas wants to go. It says now, Thomas the twin, one of the twelve. not uh, When Jesus said this, he said, let us go with him that we may die with him. Now this is interesting. Anybody ever heard of Doubting Thomas? You ever heard that phrase, Doubting Thomas? Thomas the Doubter? Thomas gets a bad rap here. Thomas gets a bad rap. I want to talk to you about perspective. I want to talk to you about power. I want to talk to you about participation. And I want to talk to you about pause. That's all in this chapter. First thing that we're dealing with here is perspective. Thomas was willing to go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. Well, what happened to this brother? And he's willing to go and give his life for Christ and die on a hill with Jesus. But somehow at the end of at the end of the story towards the end of the narrative John 20, he he's like I don't believe unless I see the prince in his nails and I put my hand in his side I won't believe. What happened to him? His perspective was wrong. You see the Jews at this time had a perspective Our perspective can limit us to what God wants to do. Our perspective can limit us to the truth of what God is trying to do and to the reality that God wants to bring into our life. Thomas had a perspective that was the common perspective of the day. The Jewish teaching, Second Temple Jewish teaching, it comes out of the book of Daniel. So the prophetic book of Daniel. So Thomas had this grid. Thomas had this theological mindset that this is the way it's going to be. And in the book of Daniel, what's happening is the king Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. The the Jews are in Babylon. They're under the king Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't obey the Lord. 150 years the Lord tried to reason with them, and they didn't want to listen. So 150 years later, the Lord allows Babylon to take them captive, so the entire nation is thrown out of the land. Not because it's not even so much of obedience. It was more of an issue of loyalty. They were bowing to other gods and doing all these other crazy things, and the Lord's like, have it. You want that? You can have it. And so he sent him to Babylon, which again, epicenter of all pagan religion was Babylon. They go to Babylon. They're in Babylon. This guy Daniel was one of the, and what the Babylonians would do is they would take the best of every nation and they would bring them and put them, make them a part of their court. They would assimilate them. And so Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all became part and they were trained in the Babylonian understandings and art. But Daniel was a guy who, who knew his Bible. And so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar sees a statue, ninety foot tall and nine feet wide, and it has a gold. It has a head of gold. It has arms of silver, a chest of silver. It has a waist of bronze. It has two legs made out of iron, and it has feet made of iron and clay. And so the king has this trip and nightmare, and he doesn't know what to do about it. He calls in all of his people, the magi. Right? This is yeah, another story. I won't jump off on that. But he brings in the magi. was his those were his spiritual counselors. Magi come, they can't give him an answer. The king's ticked off. He's like, oh, y'all gonna die. I'm gonna kill you all. Nobody can give me an answer. What do I need you for? He's literally gonna kill all these dudes. And Daniel goes, hold on, man. He's like, don't kill everybody just yet. He's like, I'm gonna ask my God and my God will give the interpretation of the dream. And so Daniel inquires of the Lord and the Lord shows him and he goes before and this is the result of the, of the dream. So, how to, so he says this, he says, in the days of those kings, so this is the narrative that Thomas is working off of. His perspective was bent because of things he had been instructed, but his perspective, because if your perspective is wrong, it's not the truth that matters, the truth matters, but the truth is the foundation of revelation. And so what Thomas couldn't see, he could see this only in one lane, and I'll show it to you. It says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So in Thomas's mind, He understands the succession of kingdoms. He understands that there will be a succession of kingdoms. They will not be global kingdoms. They will be kingdoms that have enslaved Jerusalem. That's how God looks at this. He's not looking at the China Empire and, and you know, the empire in India. He's not looking at any of that. He's looking at the nations that directly affect Israel and the Babylonians, the the, Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. All of them had affected Israel. So that's the grid that God is giving this narrative to, this prophetic narrative to. And so he basically tells them, you, king, are the head of gold. There will come an empire after you that will be less than you. And that, that empire was twofold, which is interesting because you had the Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persians were the ones that followed the Babylonians. Then you had the one that followed the Babylonians was the, was the Greeks and they were the waste of bronze. Your waste is what holds it all together. And it's interesting, prophetically, that it's the Greek culture that continues to hold this world together. Most, and if not all, of Western society is united and because has been affected by Greece. I mean, we still use words. University is from the Greeks. Gymnasium is from the Greeks. All, I mean, all, the, our philosophy is all from the Greeks. We, our, our system of government is based on the platonic relationship of the republic. That's, that's the United States. We're still affected by Greek, Greek, Greek thinking. And so the bronze, the, the, the Greeks, and then you have the, 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 the legs of iron. The Roman Empire is the legs of iron, but they split into two. You had the eastern and the western. How did Daniel know that the, that the Roman Empire was going to split in two? He didn't know, but Jesus did. And the last empire is the empire of iron and clay. Clay is significant. I don't have time to develop all this, but clay is a metaphor of God's people. I'm the potter, you're the clay. It's in, it's in, it's in Jeremiah. And so what's going on here is that clay will reunite. This is the last empire. That clay will unite with the remnants of the iron. Some version of the old Roman Empire will unite with Israel. Israel will make a covenant with the Antichrist. Hmm? They'll rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It's going to happen. You can write it down. You can Twitter. say It's never going to happen. You write it down. It's going to happen. And and what, what the prophet sees is he sees a stone that comes out of the mountain, a rock that is cut without hands. Who's the rock? Yeah, that's right, Jesus. And the rock doesn't strike the head of the, of the statue. The rock strikes the feet of the statue. He strikes the union between Jerusalem or Israel and this antichrist system, and he brings the whole thing down. And so what, what, what's happening here is Thomas is under the grid of Daniel, of the prophet's Daniel, of the narrative of the last days. And they believe that when the Messiah comes, He's going to throw off all of the kingdoms of the earth. That's why they asked him, Will you at this time restore Israel? You hear that. That question's asked several times through the Gospels because they're under this framework that when Messiah comes, he's going to get rid of this world system and he's going to establish an everlasting kingdom, and Israel will be the epicenter of that kingdom. That's, that's the mindset that Thomas is working off of. So when he sees this and he sees Jesus going this way, he's like, It's on. Let's go. Jesus is going to be killed, you know. He's going to throw off these empires. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. And once he does it, we're going to be right there when it happens. That's what they were thinking. What they didn't understand is that there's a kingdom within a kingdom. There's a coming. There's two comings. There were two comings of Christ. The first coming was 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 for the purpose of reconciliation. To reconcile to himself everything that has been lost, right? To bring back to him or provide the opportunity to reconcile things back to himself to give man an opportunity to come. He fought a battle but the battle wasn't the battle wasn't physical. The battle was spiritual. He didn't throw out a Roman, he didn't throw out Roman government, but he threw out Satan's government. And he didn't need an army to do it. God and Jesus are not or Jesus and the devil are not on the same page at all. They're not even close. Jesus got down on his hands and knees, put a blindfold behind his back, tied his hands behind his back and said, "Okay, let's go." And Jesus still beat him. Yeah, He still won. And he overcame. And he defeated darkness, hell, and the grave. And he takes that treasure, he takes that freedom, and he offers it to anyone. The condemnation of the devil, he offers it to anyone. Because he's won the day. He took back the keys of hell and the grave. He's got the authority. So Jesus overthrew a kingdom, but it wasn't the kingdom that Thomas was expecting. When he comes the second time, which he will... It will be for the restoration, the pale Genesia. the Bible says, the renewal of all things. And he will get rid of this world system entirely. Yeah, He will judge the living and the dead, and the kings of the earth, the Bible says, when he comes, they will throw their gold to the street. Revelation 6. They're going to hurl it. They're going to try to buy him off. Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Here, take it, take it. Time's done. Boom, God has struck the hour. It's over. It's over. God will judge the the living and the dead. He will judge the kings of the earth. He will judge the nations, the ethnos. And he will rid the earth of those ethnic things and he will restore his kingdom on the earth. And you know who gets to rule? Those who have served him faithfully. Mm -hmm. We rule with him. Rule eternally. You will rule eternally in a kingdom that is established upon the earth by Jesus. Yeah. So what you do in this life related to Jesus echoes in eternity, or what you don't do in this life with Jesus echoes in eternity. You'll all be provided for. You all get a happy home in heaven, right? Bible says everyone gets a fig tree. Love that verse. We all get a fig tree, which, which is a metaphor to say everybody's going to have provision, but not all will have position. All will have provision, but not all will have provision, pr- pr- position. I want position, right? What do we get, Peter asked. We've walked with you. We've served with you. He said, there's none that has done anything in my name. Mothers, brothers, houses, sisters. He goes in down the laundry list who will not be rewarded or retur- get, in, get a return on in this life and the one to come. Yeah. I will give him to rule the nations, Revelation says. Don't you want to rule the nations? I do. But we learn to do that in this life through servitude to him. If you're not obedient, you don't have a relationship with him. What makes you think he's going to entrust you to something that, you know, in the life to come? You're a part of his kingdom, you know. You can be part of his kingdom. You can be part of his eternal world. I said this last service. I said people plan their their vacations. They plan their retirement. But from the Christian perspective, very few Christians plan their eternity. (laughs) They give no thought to what the reward will be. And it's easy to get rewarded. It's easy. But you got to do something. You got to participate. There's a reward for serving the house of God. There's a reward for loving his coming, loving his appearing. There's a, lo- there's a reward for giving a prophet a, a cup of, I, was, I don't know Elliot's here. Every single week he gives me this. He's like, I want my reward, I want my reward, I want my reward, you know. If you give a, 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 a prophet a cup of cold water, you'll be rewarded. If you bring a child to Jesus, Jesus said, I'll reward you for that. Basically, whatever you do, if you do it with me, I will reward you. But how many of us actually do that? We think Jesus is for, oh, he's all about me. He's all about me. Jesus is all about me. That's the, that's the, you know, Narcissus Jesus that's preached to the American culture. Narcissistic Jesus is not who he is. He's not about you. He's about himself. He's not about your dreams and visions. He's about the dreams and the visions that he has for you. Not the dreams and the visions that you have for yourself. Seek first what? Come on. That's right. And what? What is right to him? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek not you, not don't seek first Kevin's kingdom and what is right to me. That's how we preach it. Jesus wants you to have your best life now. Woo! He's all about you. He is all about you. Jesus is not about you. He's not. He's got a glorious plan for you. The Bible tells us this: He has created you for good works that he has prepared before the foundations of the Earth, a plan bigger than what you can imagine. This is pro- Thomas's problem. It wasn't that Thomas didn't have a vision. It was that Thomas's vision of what Jesus was doing was not big enough. He saw it only like this, and Jesus is like, "Dude, your perspective's wrong. It's like this." Bible was clear, there's two paths of the Messiah. The Messiah who will suffer and die, and the Messiah who will conquer and, and reign. Jesus has suffered and died, so he's coming as a conqueror. He's not coming as a victim. He's rolling up on the white stallion. He's got a tattoo down his leg that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And before he splits the atmosphere, he's going to flex that tattoo. The Bible says there is a name written upon his thigh, etched upon his thigh. Eh? Yeah. It's probably like that big. I think he's got fire around it. Think he's got like, like blazing tattoo, king of kings, Lord of lords. He's not coming as a victim. He's coming as a conqueror. It's true. It's true. Thomas's perspective was the conqueror, but he didn't come as the conqueror. He came as the reconciler. And he, there we are. Doo, doo, -doo. He came as the conqueror. See if it happens again. Ergo, the reconciler. No, didn't happen. Doo, doo, doo. I said one time, I was, at, I was uh, teaching one time and it was like really raining. I don't even know. I said something like, and Jesus is Lord. And the whole, and it was just like, boom. You know, the thunder exploded when I said that. I was like, man, that was good. I don't know where that came from, but that was good. So Thomas had a human perspective, but his human perspective limited him. So we have this perspective problem. Then you have Martha's perspective problem, right? Say, well, why doesn't Jesus come back? Let's ask this question. Where is he at? When is he coming? I'm glad Jesus didn't come a hundred years ago. Because I would not know him. I'm glad that the Lord allowed me to have life. And I'm glad that the Lord allowed me and was patient enough for me to come to know him and give my life to him that I might live eternally. I am grateful for that. I am grateful that he was patient with me and has developed me and has enabled me to bring him glory. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And if it takes him another thousand years because he wants to be patient with other generations, so be it. So be it. It's his check to cash and not mine to demand. The Lord is not slow concerning his promises, as some say slowness, but is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Another story that blows this whole perspective of the sovereignty of God right out the window. Right? God is sovereign, but he delegates authority. God is sovereign, but he gives you the freedom of choice. God's will is that none should perish. That is his sovereign will, is that every man, woman, and child comes to know him. That is his sovereign will. Is that going to happen? No. No, it's not. I'm already losing some of you on that comment, so I won't lose it. But it's not going to happen. And do you know why? Because God has a sovereign will, but into the sovereign will, he allows us to have human choice. Yeah, you have human choice. God's will is no one dies. No one perishes. No one goes to hell. He loves them all. He calls the world to himself. Christ died for the whole world. The, the atonement, the power of what Jesus did will save every, has the potential to save every man, woman, boy, and girl that lives on the planet from dead from, from to the beginning of, to the end of time. That's how powerful this atonement is. It can save to the uttermost. Totally rendered the darkness without power. But man has to cross the line. You have to come to Jesus. You have to give your life away to Christ. I can't do that. Well, then, then stay as you are. It's the simplest thing in the world, yet it's the hardest thing for people to do. It's crazy. You know why? Because we're proud, we're proud, we're arrogant, we're narcissistic, right? We love narcissism. We love to celebrate glorious me. I mean, we just do. I don't know, you know. That's why Instagram's so popular? It's everybody's highlight reel. I love Instagram, but I use, we use Instagram for the gospel. We live with the gospel. I'm like, oh, this is where everybody's living. Well, here comes Jesus. (laughs) While you're looking, hey, wait a second, Jesus. You know, we love it. Give your life to Christ. Here's the second one that has perspective. Martha had a problem. Jesus comes to Martha and says, Lazarus is dead. Martha sees him. She meets him. She's like, Jesus, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't die. And he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know, Lord, on the final day. He'll rise. See, Martha knew theology. Martha knew the Bible. Martha knew what the Bible taught. Where does this come from? This comes from Daniel as well. The, this, this for prophecy comes from the book of Daniel. So they had this grid, this perspective of what Jesus, who Jesus was and how the Messiah was going to do this. And so they had a box. They had already created the box. And, Jesus, and Martha was coming out of this perspective. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. All those who sleep in the dust shall awake. Some do everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting destruction. The resurrection of the living and the dead. The Lord will come. The Lord will come. Reward the righteous and exile those who want nothing to do with him. You want anything to do with Jesus? No problem. No problem. Right? He loves you. The door's open. Come on in. Oh, you don't want to come? Okay. Everybody's been invited to a dinner party. The party of the century, and you're invited. The marriage supper of the Lamb. But you got an RSVP. If you don't RSVP, your name isn't on the list. Huh? My feet are on the rock and my name is on the roll. So I just don't want you all to know that. You're invited, but you've got to give your life to Christ. You've got to say, Lord, I want you. I desire you. I'm not Lord you are. I confess you as, as Savior. Not my big friend, not my buddy. He's Lord. He's Lord. I renounce all gods, including the God of self, and I confess you as Lord alone, Lord. Fealty, publicly, loyalty all that I am for all that you are. That's salvation. I used to go to this church and he used to ask me to go pray for people when they want to give their life to Christ. And I would be like, Mr. Clarity. I say, listen here, dude, you're not signing an insurance policy. You're giving your life away. Do you understand that? You understand that? Bible says you're bought with a price and your life is no longer your own. That's an easy, that was an easy transaction for me. I'm like, this mess is no longer belongs to me. Jesus is going to, Jesus wants to take this mess for me. I'm like, well, here, you can have it. I get everything that he is, and he's gonna take everything that I am. I'm like, I'm getting a better deal here. That wasn't even hard for me to figure out. It's all unto all him, Christian. This is what salvation means. This is what salvation the church needs to preach this because there's many people that are in the church that don't know Christ. Say, so how's it possible? Parking your park standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. I stood in a garage, therefore I must be a car. I went to church, therefore I must be a Christian. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You must be born again. You must give your life to Christ. Born not of Adam, born of him. The last Adam. Another story, another day. Martha knew her theology. She knew it. She said, in the sweet by and by, Jesus, my brother will rise. I know. I know. In the sweet by and by. And the Lord's like, wrong, Martha. I'm the power in the broken here and now. It's not about the sweet by and by. It's the power of Christ in the rotten here and now. That's what it's about. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the light. He doesn't say, I need to call on it or I need to activate it. No, he is the source of all things. He is life. In him was life and that life is the light of men. He is that. He is Genesis. He is power. He is life. He is anastasis, which is what the word resurrection means. He uses two words here. You have the perspective problem. He finished the perspective problem before jump off on power. You have the perspective problem of Thomas. He was he, it would produce a limitation in Thomas's life. You have the perspective problem of Martha. Both of them knew truth, but they didn't have revelation. You understand that? There's actually two words for this. There's logos, which is which is what truth is. Logos, learned truth. Logos, right? And then there's rhema, which is revelatory truth. In Rhema, so we stand upon the Logos and we get Rhema into the deeper meanings of what that is saying. Revelation knowledge. She couldn't see that Christ was the revelation in the light. Thomas didn't see that Jesus was building a kingdom within a kingdom. He bought the narrative in the popular view of the day. perspective is a barrier truth is the foundation upon which revelation was come this is what happens with us a lot of times That's why christians don't get healed because they don't believe it's god's will to heal who told you that i had to change me i've been so let me let me true true confession here i have been so wrong in my perspective many times i'm just wise i'm just open enough to actually say that i'm learned i'm extremely learned I can articulate the scripture. I can break it down. I have PhDs, you know, and M MDivs and PhDs in front of me. And it's like, rock on, let's go. We can, I can dance with all of those guys, all of them. I can say things that they don't understand. But it doesn't mean anything. Because my perspective, if my perspective limits me on the knowledge of God, then my perspective needs to go. Now, all of that knowledge is good. You need to have it. It's a foundation because it's what you draw on and it's where the revelation comes from. The revelation isn't just coming from the atmosphere. It's not just coming from anything. It's coming from the knowledge of the truth. It's why you need to be literate in your Bible because if the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, he speaks scripture. Say it with me. The language of the Holy Spirit is scripture. He speaks a language and it's called Scripture. So he speaks revelatory life, and when he, may, when he speaks, he's not he may not be quoting chapter and verse, but he might reference something that is absolutely and forever within the frame of Scripture. Say this, Jesus, well, let's say this, Holy Spirit never violates his word, but he will violate my understanding. He will never violate his word, but he will blow your mind as to what you think it means. 100%, I've been there. I start learning, I start seeing the limitations of everything that I've invested in. So when we talk about wrong perspective, I could talk about this all day. You're like, oh, you poor pastor. Really, where are you at? Where are you at, right? I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. I'm an overcomer. I don't stay in the state that I'm in. When I realize the state and the condition I'm in, I'm like, I'm not staying there. I'm not owned by that state. I'm not owned by that condition. I have no obligation to stay there and I'm gonna do whatever it takes, but I'm not staying here. That's me, that's me. So the Lord tells me, and I'm, I'm communing with him on the limitations that I find myself in, why this doesn't happen, where's this at, Lord? What's missing? What's missing? What is, what is malfunction? What is not there? What, why, what is, I never ask, I try to not ever ask why prayers because he doesn't answer why prayers. Those are victim prayers. He never answers a why prayer. So, you know, you stick around here. You won't hear me say that many times. So I have to understand, the Lord's like, Kevin, you want what you want from me? Requires you to dismantle everything you think you know. And I know a lot and I'm not bragging because it's really, his vanity. Paul's like, I know everything. I'm not Paul. But he said, I counted it for nothing because there's a revelation that surpasses that knowledge. And Paul's one of the most theological teachers in all of the scripture. I mean, that, that brother, Peter said, this guy talks like nobody can understand this guy. He's so heady, He's so over the top. And the Lord told me to take everything you have and you set it aside. And you work with me and you know nothing. And is it all over there in that box, all the things that you know, if I want the wrench, go give me the wrench. If I need the, you know, the sawzall, then you give me the sawzall. But you are not to use your tool set unless I tell you to. You are to listen to me and do what I ask and do it this way. This is how it works, Christian. That's where revelation comes from. I'm all in. Y'all should go to Bible school. We need biblically literate people, biblically literate Christians. That's going to produce a frame for you. What doctrine is, is doctrine is a frame. Doctrine is the frame around the painting. But the painting and the canvas is the relationship. The relationship. The fluidity of life is is on the canvas. The image of life comes through the canvas. And what we end up doing, we end up worshiping the frame. We, We bow at the almighty throne of doctrine. I'm all in on doctrine, but here's Jesus correcting two people because their doctrine has failed to give them the perspective that they needed. Failed. Martha didn't get it. Thomas didn't get it. They had doctrine. Everything they said was true. But they didn't have the revelation as to what that really meant in the now. Another story, another day. We think that we figured it all out. We think that this is the way it is. Or we lack the courage and the identity to step into the revelation that God gives us. Some of you have had revelation and insight, a revelatory insight into who you are, what you are, where to go. That's a revelation. What's revelation? Pink. It's like, wow, I know that. Why do I know that? Where would that come from? You know? I don't understand that. You know, it's just, it's this... This illumination that's what revelation is that's Rhema and what holds us back are those things you know? we think we got oh I need to figure this out that's this is another level of teaching that I'm gonna move away from because it's gonna take me too time too much time to build it out But you have the perspective problem then here's the other thing there's a power issue Jesus is going to reveal to us two aspects of his power he reveals this to us Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life say it with me resurrection and life It's his power, right? So he reveals to them, and though they may die, they will live in me, and whoever lives will believe in me. And he tells Martha, if you will believe this, do you believe this? You'll see my glory. So what is he saying? He says, I am. My power is anastasis. Anastasis is to rise. My power, that's what resurrection means, is to raise up, to reanimate, to lift up. So the power that Jesus has given us, according to Romans one sixteen, or is it one sixteen? I think that's the gospel. But it's Romans chapter 1. It says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. You have resurrection power. Inside of every Christian, you're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be in dormant form. In other words, he may be inactive. There may be no activity of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean he's there. He's not there. He is there. Right, and so when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't know, you haven't learned to hear Him, you haven't learned to activate Him, you haven't learned to walk in Him. All of those things are a learned thing. It's what has to happen. So, but the power that the Holy Spirit brings is anastasis. He comes to raise your life. He comes to bring you out of the pit. He comes to raise you beyond the level of where you are. He comes to give you an ability that no matter what the dead issues are in your life, it He through you can raise it. That's the power. We have resurrection power. We also have metamorphic power. Romans 12, 1, be transformed by the renewing your mind. We have, that's word metamorpho. Metamorphu is to become what you have never been. That power resides in you in Christ. You have a metamorphic power. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to activate it, but it's there. It's there. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, 5 says this, all are new creations in Christ. I, know you, I get Christians all the time going, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is an absolute statement of truth. That is a present reality, but that does not, that has not manifested it into your world. The truth is, is that you're saved, but you don't always act saved, do you? That's a present. The present reality is that you're saved. You are born again. You belong to him, but you're not manifesting your salvation everywhere you go. We have to learn to follow Christ and move in him and move going in him. Same thing. You are a new creation. You've never existed. There's a part of you that is a brand. The wholeness of you is a brand new being. And what happens when we partner with the Holy Spirit is the metamorphic power begins to change us into the person that we are now are in Christ. Every area around you. This is the power, Christian. We have a power problem in the in the church. We have, we seriously do. We have a power problem. Oh, we can build buildings and gymnasiums, but we can't raise the dead. We can build buildings and gymnasiums. Look, we see. I see miracles all the time, all the time, all the time. Why? Because I understand metamorphic, and I understand. I'm not saying I got fullness on this. I don't. But I know I'm not in elementary school. On some of you, you haven't even made it into the schoolyard. <laughs> you know, you're outside the fence, still sucking your thumb in mommy's car. You haven't even come onto the school ground, let alone the classroom, let alone into any other level. That's where Christians are, you know. You, the, the thing is, it's like, and you're saying, this doesn't, you, you have to understand who and what you are. You are lions. You are sons and daughters of a king. Do you know that? Jesus didn't give birth to you and call you into his kingdom to leave you out in a schoolyard sucking your thumb. He wants to use your life for great things. You are giant killers, you are world transformers. You can transform families, transform neighborhoods, transform cities, transform nations. How do you know the early church did it? They did it. No different than you. So Hebrews said if Elijah stopped the water, are you any different than Elijah? He didn't do it because he was some great man of God. He did it because he knew the aspects of power. He understood it. Another story, another day. You were born for a high purpose. I was asking God for a path for this church. He said, calm Christ, (laughs) develop them, teach them to deal with their junk and call them to great things. Yeah, that is really the rule. Come to Jesus, get a platform of learning underneath you, deal with your issues and move on to great things. Say, what are those great things? I don't know. Great and mighty things that you know not of wonders and works that God has prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. This is who you are. This is why we say we got to get out of victim mode and get into victor mode. We're not victims, we're victors. We're not, it doesn't mean everything is easy. It's not easy. But we are overcomers. There's another power that we possess. Overcomers in Christ Jesus. We overcome. We don't go under, we go through. Everything that happens to us works together for our good. This is the promise that God makes us. Am I losing you guys? No, I hope not. The power is underrated and underutilized, resurrection power. We we underrate the power of God. We we I mean we treat the Holy Spirit like he's trifles. You know, we either feel like he's like um like Steve Martin like a wild and crazy guy and he just wants to do everything kind of really wild and crazy or we you know, we don't want him around at all. We want to stick him in a corner and we don't want you know, you can just stay over there Holy Spirit. We give you a nod every now and then. A nod every now and then. He's the everything. Underrated underutilized. Resurrection power, the power to rise, metamorphic power, the power to become. It's what we have? Say, Holy Spirit, teach me the ways of your power. Teach me the ways of metamorpho. Teach me the ways (laughs) of anastasis. Yeah. You want to rise? You want to become? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's all about that. Like no other. Mm -hmm. The world, the sea, the believer are like, what in the world? This is the change. This is the power. So we underrate his power. We underutilize his power. You have power, man. More power than you understand. Another story for another day. We're probably doing Firestarters. You want to experience power? Come to Firestarters. Yeah. Some of you all know what Firestarters is. We'll do it. I don't know when. We're putting it on a calendar somewhere, but um, it's coming up. Uh, Third thing that happens here is Participation. Say this, Christianity is not a spectator sport. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I'm the, I'm the resurrected and the life. Who he who believes in me? Though they die, they shall live. And whoever lives that believes in me um, shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? So Jesus asked for three pieces. He's going to perform a miracle. He's going to call Lazarus from the grave. But before he does this miracle, he asks for two. And then after he does the miracle, he asks for one. Two places of participation. The first place of participation he asks for is faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe your sons and daughters of the highest? Or is that just something that goes whoop in one ear and out the other, whoop over your head and just kind of rock back and forth? Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Do you believe it? The word faith is the Greek word pistos, and it means to grab, to lay hold of. It's not believing in your mind. It's you grab it and you hold it with everything you have. First service, I was talking about a word picture of what faith is. Faith is to grab the mast of the ship in the midst of the storm. You don't have to understand it. So the storms being, you know, the Bible, everything's going crazy. Like you're in a storm, everything's happening. And you grab the center mast of the ship. And you're like, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand how this started. I don't understand how this ends. But I'm holding on to this because what I'm holding on is going to see me through. That is what faith is. Yes, I got somebody on that. Faith is to lay hold of. Faith is not the intellectual ascent. You don't have to understand everything. Your understanding as a Christian comes through revelation. Here a little, there a little, the Bible says. Progressiveness. We progress in our faith. I didn't understand anything when I came to Christ, except I needed to get saved. That's about it. I knew anything. I'm like, okay. I mean, they could have told me, I don't even know. They could have told me anything. I was so like naive. I, I tell people I used to think the book of Job was how you get a job. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Look at this, look how great the Bible is. It gives you a book to tell you how to get a job. (laughs) I was way off. Anyway, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. So he asked for faith. He's going to do a miracle, but he needs us to embrace the miracle. Do you know who you are? Do you know your sons and daughters? Do you know that the bread is for the children? Do you know this? Do you know the Lord will never forsake you? He will never leave you. Do you know this? Do you lay hold of this? Do you grab this? When your bank account says zero, do you lay hold of it? My God will supply all of my needs and my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you lay hold of that? Yes. It's going to tell you where your heart is. We don't listen to lesser voices. We don't listen to the voices of this culture. We don't listen to that. Who told you that? Well, the economy, pastor, the economy, ho, 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 the economy. Have you seen the economy? I'm like, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Heaven's never been broke. I'm not bound to a world economy. I'm bound to a heavenly economy. My God will provide for me in season and out. My God will cause me to prosper because he will demonstrate who and what I am. When the world goes down, I'll go up. And you know why? Because Jesus will say, that's my boy. You will pass through the waters, they will not overtake you. You will go through the fires and they will not be burned. Where's your faith? We bind ourselves to lesser voices. We lower ourselves. We lower ourselves. We need to rise to the level of our birth and believe and have faith that God is going to do it. He's not only going to do it for you. He's going to give you the wisdom to get out of your circumstances. We underrate wisdom. That's right. He's gonna, that's what wisdom is. It's showing you what to do and when to do it. You don't know it, but you're like, oh, wow, this is what I should do. I don't know, where'd that come from? And I know I should do this now. You don't know what to do, but it's what to do and when to do it. God's for you. He asks for faith. Do you believe this? Mary, I'm going to do something here, but I need a bridge. That's what faith is, is a bridge to the Lord. Say it with me. Faith is the currency of heaven. All right, I got a lot of weird looks in first service, but that's okay when I said this. Human need does not move heaven. How dare you say that? Human need moves people, but human need doesn't move Jesus. Faith moves Jesus. Read the Gospels. Walked by many people, didn't do anything. But when there was faith, boom. Bartimaeus is blind on the side of the road. Easiest story to tell on that note. He's there with a rag on his eyes and a cup in his hand, sitting on the ground on concrete, banging a cup. There's no more human need than that. Jesus walks right on by. And when Bartimaeus cried out in faith, Not in empathy, oh, pity me, pity me, son of David, pity me. But when he said, son of David, have mercy on me. I know who you are. I know what you are. You are the God of mercy, charis, spiritual power, moving in love. You are that God. Have mercy on me, son of David. I know who you are. I know your nature, and I know you are kind, and I know you are generous, and I believe it. And Jesus stopped and went over to him. He was like, <laughs> was like, oh, please, 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 please. Syrophoenician woman, another popular story I love to share. Heal my daughter. Jesus said, I owe you nothing. You don't know me. I'm not in covenant with you. The bread belongs to the children. You're not my child. You're a Syrian Phoenician. You're a dog. She didn't know him. Kind, loving Jesus called someone a dog? Yeah. If she would have given her life to him, she wouldn't have gone from dog to daughter immediately. But because her people, the Syrian Phoenicians, rejected all things related to God, but yet here she is going to the Jewish prophet to try to get this healing, she said, I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. And she said, you don't give what is holy to dogs and you don't give the bread to children's bread. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. I know I'm outside of my covenant, but I know who you are and I know what you are. And he created, she created the bridge of faith and power moved. Roman centurion, same thing. Heal my servant, heal my servant, heal my servant. Jesus is like, okay, I'll come to your house. He said, I don't need you to come to my house. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know the authority that you carry. I know all you got to do is say it because that's what I do. I have authority, and if I say to this one, do it, he does it. If I say to that one, do this, they do it, because I know what authority looks like, and I know you carry authority. And Jesus went, what? He's like, I haven't seen this kind of faith even among my people. He's like, dude, you got it. It's yours. It's yours. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Who is he? Who are you? Who is he, and who are you to him? Your heirs, your sons and daughters, you're not beggars. You're not be- you can be a beggar if you want to. You can act like a beggar. The heirs, so long as they are a child, are no different than a slave, but, is under the ma- but, but are no different than the slave, but is um, under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. The heir, that would be those in Christ, your heirs. You know that? But so long as you're a child, so long as you remain undeveloped and immature, you're no different than a slave. You can be born again and love the Lord, and yet your condition is no different than it was when you didn't know Jesus. Because the air is immature and undeveloped. Ignorant and arrogant. Nothing will change until the air grows up. Until the air becomes more. Got me? Too close? I'm just telling you how it works. Some of y'all have been sitting in church for 20 years and you're wondering, Was there, am I ever going to see anything? Is anything going to happen? Well, I'm the one that calls out the elephant in the room. And I'm going to say, this is why. This is why. This is how it works. This is the way it works. Huh? Oh, God's going to do what God's going to do. No, God's not going to do what God's going to do. No, he is not. The heaven, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men. All power and authority on earth has been given to me and I give it to you. You go. So long as you're ignorant and arrogant of that fact and you don't know how to wield it and demonstrate it, you will remain as a slave. Write it down. Write it down. Come on, man. I feel like I want to give you a high five, right, man? You get it. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. He comes to the temple. He comes to the the thing. Comes up to the thing. He's looking for faith. He gets faith. And then he looks at the rock. And he says, somebody move that stone. I'm about to speak life here. And I need these barriers out of my way. How many of us have stones? They had to move the stone. Right? In order for the Lord to command life. There was something in between him and what he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Something in between him and what he wanted to do. The one that can raise the dead can move a stone. I don't know if you're aware of that. If he can call the dead out of the grave, he can go, Ah, let's just move that rock Jedi style out of the way. I mean, he can do that, but he didn't because he wants participation. Hmm? He wants the participation of faith and he wants you to understand and know and recognize the barriers that remain between him and what he wants to do. And you all have barriers. I have barriers. There are things that stand in the way between what Jesus wants to do and what he wants to command into the tomb of your life and the life that he wants to bring out of you. There are things that stand in the way. Mindsets, attitudes, religious thinking, brokenness, pain, all of that's there. Fear, huh? How much does fear disqualify what God wants to do? God could give you a technicolor picture of what he wants to do, but you're bound by fear and anxiety. You're bound by lies of worthlessness. you know? Those are all stones that inhibit God's word from coming into the realm of what he wants to do in your life. We have to move the stone. We have to deal with our junk. There are barriers. You can't pray it away, you know, all this other stuff. Well, I just need to pray more. Good luck with that. Woman that was healed from crippling nerve pain. This woman is a faithful woman of God. You know, her her prayer life puts mine to shame. Up at 4.30 every single morning, interceding and praying, calling heaven down yet she's bound yet she's bound there's an area of ignorance that she doesn't understand there's a part of her life she doesn't understand as soon as she understands the path of freedom she's all over it she's all over it all over it pain goes why because she's an heir she just doesn't understand the application of this there's a barrier between what god wants to do and what and where and where she's at unbelief ignorance arrogance pettiness stupidity ego pride self-will fear, anxiety, trauma, right? Brokenness, brokenness of your past, all of that. We got to move the stone. Hmm? Anybody want to move the stone? I want to move the stone, man. I want to move the stone. I want anything in between me. That's a participation he asked for. And then he uses this word. It's maga kragedzo." Kre-ge, maga kragedzo. What does mega mean? Anybody know what mega means? Big. So Jesus goes, Lazarus! Did that alarm you? Because that's exactly what it says. It's an alarming shout. An awakening shout. It's actually related to the word ferocity. Jesus looks in the face of death and speaks fiercely to it. Jesus looks into the face of the impossible and he speaks fiercely to it. We have a lion. Our king is a lion. He's a lion. And if you read how many times he shouts... It's insane. Hey, he shouts at least seven times in the book of John. Come forth! <laughs> and we're like, here, kitty, kitty. This is Jesus. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Kitty, kitty, kitty. kitty. Oh, you're so cute, kitty, Jesus. And we get afraid if he roars. I'm like, roar! Roar, Lord! Roar! Roar into my circumstance. Roar over my life. Roar Ah. over me. Roll back the dead of my life. Roar over me. Where are you? You want to stay the same? Stay the same. But as for me in my house, not happening. You can stay common when you're created to be exceptional. You want to be common as a Christian? You're going to have lots of company. Lots of company. You won't have to look far to be a common Christian. You won't have to you'll be comfortable. You know, everybody can sit down, but if you want to be uncommon, there's a different way to this game. There's a different way to this game. I got more to say on that. I'm holding that back. I'm not going to say. Maga Kregedzo. He with a mega voice and fierceness. Death, you do not reign. I reign. Somebody said, if he didn't say Lazarus, all the graves would have came. If he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, then everybody, if he just would have went, come forth, everybody would have came. (laughs) Let him roar over your life, Christian. Let him speak over you. Do not fear him. Let the lion roar. Hail, hail, lion of Judah. We sing a song. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar, kitty, kitty. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar, kitty, kitty. Let him roar, man. He's fierce for you. He's fierce. His love is fierce. He fiercely loves you. He fiercely loves you. Be like him. You have his nature. Don't accept your circumstances. Know what you are. Speak to that mountain. Speak to that. This is not the way this is going down. I'll share one quick story because I'll let you know what I am and where I'm at. I had stuff all the time that freaks me out. This is an exercise. I haven't had to do it in a while, thank God. And now, but, but I do do this quite often. Things are happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And immediately when I get overwhelmed, I go to the I've gone to the mirror and I go, okay, Kevin, you don't know what to do here. But I'm here to tell you, Kevin, that this is what you're not going to do. You will not fear. You will not faint. You will not be a coward in this moment of testing. You will not. You will not. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I can tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not running. I'm not cowering, and I'm not bowing to anyone other than Jesus. And you need to adopt that same mentality and that same attitude. We are lions in this generation. We are the power keepers of the Lord's glory. Ah, oh, feel that one. Mm. Or not. <laughs> it's really that simple. It's really that simple. Where, who are you? What are you? I have a woman here, there's a lot of brokenness in her family and all her life and as I just tell her, I said in the name of Jesus, we just command the darkness off your life. You come to our healing school, one of the things you're going to be very apparent of, we don't ask for healing, we command it. I command healing. We don't ask for it. You're turning me off, telling me it's time to go. So said, what's going on? Shutting off my microphone, he's talked too loud. I'm only four minutes over, but I'm closing right now. I'm closing right now. Right now. Last thing he told him is he said to loose the participation. Last thing about participation is what happens. We all come to Christ. This is the story of our lives. We come to Jesus, and we're still bound with grave clothes. Oh, we're born again, and we're resurrected. We still got the rags and the lingering aftereffects of a former life all over us. And we can't move. We have no mobility. We have the promise of freedom all around us, yet we cannot seem to achieve that range of motion because we are still remain bound with the lingering aftereffects of a former life that we no longer own. God wants you to be free of the past. We accept it. We're not to accept it. I don't accept it when I can be free. You're born again, but you still got grave clothes on you. And if you're honest, you'll know. The hurts, the pains, the traumas, the legacy, the generation, all the corruption, all the stupid, all the covetage you made with the devil and you didn't even know you made them. I'm free in Jesus. You know when people tell me that? And I'm like, really? Are you? Are you? Let's just look at that. That is a statement of fact, but let's just look at that as that is a statement of truth, but let's just look at that in reference to reality. You are free in Jesus. You have all authority. You have all power, yet you have yet to enforce that in your life. You have yet to decree that. You have yet to take back. You have yet to reclaim. Israel came out. God gave them the promised land. It was theirs. He said it's yours, but they had to go take it. You get that? He already told them it belongs to you, but they still had to go and take it. They had to get, drive out all of the enemies, the pain, the hurt, the trauma, the wickedness, the evil, the sins, the corruption, all of the stupid stuff. They had to rid themselves of it. We have to deal with our junk, Christian. And I'm not here to tell you how to do that today. We we will in the future, but you have to. That's the third area of participation. If you want life in the range of motion at Christ's tournament, you got to have faith. You got to move the barriers and you got to deal with your issues. Deal with your issues. And then last, just pause. This is the last thing, this is a short one. What are the barriers in your life that keep you from hearing his voice? Now, some of you, I'm going to give you a challenge and some of you are going to go back home. You're going to, you can't wait to get out of here because you're heading to Starbucks and you're going to off and have some pizza this afternoon. That's cool. That's cool. But I encourage you to get a little notepad or we'll bust out the notepad on your phone because I believe the Lord's going to speak to you today, tomorrow, or even in your sleep. If you'll let him, or you can just ignore it. He will speak. If you ask the Holy Spirit to speak, he will speak. No question. He won't speak unless you ask him. But if you ask him, he will speak. So let's just say this Holy Spirit. I give you permission to reveal to me the barriers in my life that keep me from you, that keep me from your voice and the power and the word and the life that you desire to bring. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to reveal to me the grave clothes, that which binds me with the lingering after effects of my former life. Yeah, he's going to show you. He'll show you your temper, and then you can ask, what is the root of my temper? And he'll say, your father, and you'll say, what is the relationship with my father? And he'll say, the abuse you suffered at the hands of your father, the model and the mirror that you suffered at the hands of your father, the absence of your father in the home has left a subversive trail of anger within you, and that still affects you. If you ask the questions, he'll show you. He'll show you. You got to want (laughs) to know. Too close? Too close, right? Too close. My beautiful daughter's staring at me. Too close, Mariah? She's like, no, dad, you're doing good. So let's pause. Let's ask these questions. Let's do this last one. You need to be (laughs) ready. Say this. I'm going to die. And I have no control over that like, what a downer, dude. I know, right? It's a big downer. Plan vacations. Plan retirement. We need to plan the afterlife. And if you don't know Jesus, you will die. You will pass. You will, ha- you will experience apothonesco. Your spirit will leave your body. And you will come before the Lord. And if you are his, you will enter his kingdom. But if you are not his, he will, you will have thanaton. You will experience eternal separation, outer darkness. But the good news is, is today you can come to Christ. It's simple. Jesus paid a high price to give you a simple opportunity to come to him. You get on an elevator and you push PH and it takes you to the penthouse. And you're like, well, that was easy. Yeah, but it costs millions upon millions of dollars to put that apparatus in the building. You come to Christ through the opening of your heart and the giving of a prayer. And you say, wow, that was easy. Yes, but it cost a fortune to make that happen. It cost all of heaven to make that happen. If you don't know Jesus today, this is the offer you don't refuse. And I speak to the people that watch us by live stream. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ, today's your day. And those of you that are here, today's your day. We're going to pray together as a group. We're going to give us an opportunity to give an opportunity to receive Jesus. Everybody's going to pray with you. You say, I don't know if I know Jesus, or I think I do. If you don't know, if you've never given your life to Christ or you're not sure, you need to be sure. And this is the way to be sure. You don't have to understand it. You just have to embrace it. You open your heart. I'll lead the prayer and you pray along. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe. You are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus name. Amen right we're going to take communion Hey, come on we can clap for that yeah we love you God loves you we're going to take communion here at Alabama. but we bless you in Jesus name uh, so